Happy New Year, Gallery Church. I hope that you are in the midst of a good Christmas season. I'm recording this to, on the what I believe is the fifth day of Christmas. So let's not rush Christmas. By the time that you listen to this teaching, I believe that you should still have two to three more days left in this Christmas season. My family had to quarantine over the Christmas week. We had attempted to help someone in need and to share some love from our family, and they ended up testing positive. So this is the real first day I've been out of my house. Thankfully, no one in my home has shown any signs of the virus, and, and we're now on the eighth, soon to be ninth day. So here, the next six Sundays will feel a little bit different. We're not recording things like, that we, like we have been, and, and this, this is intentional. We're going to stay online for our teachings, but the difference is that we are going to continue to focus on prayer and how we gather in discipleship and how we listen to the teachings, but we're also going to be adding a Zoom element. You'll hear more about that on January the 10th, and we're going to be bringing our worship team back to our online gathering once the six-week series is over. So before we move forward today in the worship of our King Jesus, let's just enter into a time of focus on generosity. You know, during the Advent season, we introduced this time of generosity and, and we desire to keep it as a regular time in our worship together. And so it is important that we keep our Father in Heaven's character out in front of us. And He has displayed generosity, and we desire to follow His example. So please join me now in this prayer of generosity. Father in Heaven, there is nothing that You have not given me. All I have and am belong to You, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstanding the delusions of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the light of your sons and daughters to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. I'd like to encourage you to take a moment now to give, and you can give through our app or you can give online at gcbdowntown.com giving. Thank you, and I pray that you can see Christ and follow after him as a result of this online gathering. Today we're starting our six-week series about the making, meetings, and methods of the early church. If we do this by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit, the Gallery Church will never be the same. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, we get our first glimpse of the first days of the New Covenant Jesus movement called the Church. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them, Jesus. Acts 2, 42-47 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled 
with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hello, Gallery Church. To my brothers and sisters at Communidad, welcome. Gallery Church, Patterson Park. Man, it is so good to be with you guys today. To my brothers and sisters downtown, uh, welcome to a new year. This is um, exciting for me to have us all together, even though I am here uh, by myself doing this recording. I know now while we're watching this, we are watching this as a church, as the church, as a unified church. And it is a real honor for me to be recording this and to be sharing what I believe God has really placed on my heart for us. Uh, and it is my joy, my pleasure. I feel blessed uh, to be a pastor, to be a pastor to you and to be working uh, with uh, Pastor Bill and Aida Medina and, and just the, the team of elders around us to really just see Jesus Christ placed at the front and center uh, for us to imitate, to learn about, to learn to communicate everything that um, Christ has for us. So we're going to take these next six weeks and share with you guys on a journey that we are calling replant, basically from the ground up, we're going to be making sure that we are on the same path, that path together. Um, it's a discipleship path. It's what we believe is what Jesus intended for us. I, I know that it is referred to by Jesus himself as the way. Um, Paul actually referred to it to the early church as a process of renewing our minds. Now, Paul had a lot of other things to say, and we'll hear a lot about that in these next few weeks, but there's a renewing of our mind that needs to take place. And that was happening in the church. And John, the beloved disciple, he referred to it as walking in the light, walking in the light. That's a, really what I feel like a very appropriate analogy for us coming out of Advent into this Christmas season, which if you are listening, I believe that we have a couple of days left on the 12 days of Christmas. And so don't go quickly past the reflection of how the light came into the world through Jesus Christ. But we want to get this right. We want to not just be a church in Baltimore, but we want to get the church right in our generation and so what is going to happen and what is next for us in 2021? This, this next six weeks is a series for us to share that with you. And the town hall on January the 9th, we're going to talk more about this with all of us together. But what is really ahead for us? How are we going to look like Jesus? What does the new year look like? We, I really want today as well as the next several Sundays, these next, well, the six Sundays, so we have five more to go, to really be inspiring, to be life-giving, to give us hope, and to give us a sense of like drive and, and excitement towards what is coming for us. And so we want to be a church that looks like Jesus. So therefore, we want to be a church that excels in love. 
At the end of the summer, I was reading and sharing some things with my wife and uh, Ginger, and, and we came across Hebrews 12, and she shared this with me. Hebrews 12, 12 has become one of my favorite verses at the end of a very long pandemic. This has really brought me hope. It says this, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. We serve a God that doesn't tell us that we can never be tired. I love that. We have a God that knows that we get tired and he's okay that we get tired and he's aware of that. He doesn't tell us that we can never feel weak. And, and I love that we have a God that doesn't just say, well, you better hold on tight, hold on tighter. Instead, he's like, you know what? Relax, take a new grip. And here's one thing that I really believe is important for us because the influences in January are going to continue to change on a daily basis and a weekly basis for us, especially in the pandemic. The grip that you and I had on life this past March of 2020 is no longer a grip that's going to help us in January of 2021. The grip that we had in September is no longer a grip that's going to sustain us into 2021. We are only one press conference, I believe, away from everything that we've been putting into practice in these last few weeks to totally be different in the weeks to come. And so how do we maintain our faith under the influences of everything that seems to, that, that almost seems like it could change on a daily basis? We have to keep asking God what he has for us every day. Asking God, what do you have for me? And then holding tight to that. Why is it so important that we keep asking God daily what he has for us? Is because we need to be able to readjust our grip because it is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about those people that are following after us. That's why I love in Hebrews 12, verse 13, the verse after it says, mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. So if you're like me, I love to have purpose. I love to feel like I know what I need to do every single day. I need to have a sense that I have meaning and need to be involved in something important. It is about our lives are about the people that are looking at us, that are following after us. It is about those who are watching us, who are, whether up close and in our family or watching us from a distance in our neighborhoods or where we work, our life and, and life is about who we are ministering to, who is behind us, who are we leading in our words, in our actions. So, so we're doing this not because we hope that everyone notices how amazing we are. We are doing it because we want to make it easier for people to notice who Jesus is. I love how these verses encourage us to make the path easy, to mark it out, to make it so that other people can follow it with less obstacles. When long periods of time press on us, it is so easy to be to go into survival mode. This last 10 months, it's been so easy for us just to want to survive, just to hold on. 
to stop looking to help others and only be concerned about surviving this ourselves. But I want to encourage us to follow our Lord's commands in this hard time. And that's what this series is going to do. We need to live our lives in our hope so that others can live. Let me say that again. We need to live our life in our hope so that others can live. It's time for a new grip. So what does a new grip look like for us as a church in 2021? This is not about us going back to the way it was before the pandemic in January or February of 2020. These last 10 months have forced us to slow down, to kind of regroup. So the question that I've been asking and that even Pastor Bill and Aida and I have been wrestling with and in many, many times even talking with a lot of you in our areas of leadership, is there something that we should have been doing all along that we haven't been doing? Or have we been putting our time into things that aren't worth the time? Or are we putting our resources into things that are not necessary? It's a time, this has been a good time for us to, to rethink, to regroup. What have we been doing and should we continue doing it? This time, I believe, even though it has been stressful and hard as a leader, as a pastor, I must admit, this has been a stressful season. I believe that this has been a gift for us. It has forced us to slow down. Was there anything that we were pouring our lives into that, that, that weren't, that, that wasn't helping us look like Jesus? We are going to be replanting the Gallery Church of Baltimore in 2021. That is what we are going to do. We are going to be replanting our church in 2021. So for these six weeks, starting today, we are starting a six-week series called Replant, where we are wanting to take a new grip, and we're going to focus on what we believe is the obedience that's for us to make disciples, to teach people to obey all that God has commanded us, all that Jesus had taught. So what does that look like? So we're taking six weeks. This Sunday, if you haven't noticed, the title of our teaching is "Make The Making of the Church, Acts chapter 2 the birth of the church and what shape it took from the very beginning. That's what we're going to talk about this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the meetings of the church, the house church and what it looked like in those early days. Then we're going to be looking at the ministry of the church, how they cared for people's needs. And then we're going to look at the mission of the church. What did the local mission look like? The message of the church is going to follow. And how did they talk about Jesus? I think we can learn about that from the early church. Then the multiplication of the church. How did, how did they grow? How did they expand? What did the church look like as they were moving forward? So over these six weeks, we're going to be focusing on this. And why are we spending six weeks focused on the church and what the early church did and what they found themselves doing in the midst of the politics of the Roman government, the oppression, the violence, the death that was around them in the first century. I believe what Paul said to Timothy is the motivation for why I want us to kind of get a new grip on what the church was so that we can evaluate who we are, not so they could be like legalistic and, and we're got, we've got to do, you know, what Ellis says we have to do based upon what scriptures he's chosen. But I want it to be like an act of obedience, like the Holy Spirit is involved and it's like he's guiding us and sharing with us what it really looks like for us to be obedient in 2021 to look like the church that Jesus 
gave his life up for and resurrected for so that you and I could walk in obedience in 2021. So Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God, the church. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Did you catch that? The pillar and the foundation of the truth is the church, not the Bible. The Bible is a gift to the church. And we're using it even today in looking at 1 Timothy 3 and Acts 2 and other chapters that in verses that are going to be even alluded to in the notes that, that follow up for our growth community life of our church. But the pillar and the foundation of truth that's going to help people to believe in a resurrected Jesus as the creator and sustainer and the savior, the king, the Lord, the Messiah. The foundation of that is the church. And that's why we need to get a new grip in this generation on what the church actually was and what it is and what it's supposed to be doing, because the truth is dependent upon it the truth about Jesus Christ. And if I may, just for a moment, can I just tell you guys, I have read through the New Testament. I have looked at what Jesus told the disciples, what the disciples did with their lives for those that we have record of and the letters that they wrote to the church. And I must say, there is no plan B for the truth to go around to all of the billions of people on the planet. The only plan that Jesus left was for the church to be the church. It is the pillar and the foundation of truth. So let me just say a couple more things before we get into Acts chapter 2. The early church was what regularly referred to themselves as disciples and not very many times as Christians. Really, there's only three times that I could find in the New Testament where they were either called or they referred to themselves as Christians. But over 250 times, they referred to themselves as disciples of Jesus. 250 times they referred to themselves as disciples of Jesus, which meant that they were wanting to be imitators of Jesus. They wanted to learn so much about Jesus that they could align their lives with him like apprentices to speak and act and move and talk like Jesus. 250 times they referred to themselves as disciples. There is a rhythm of development that we are going to be referring to over these six weeks that we find in the early church. And that is that they learn to trust God. They learn to grow in their faith in God and in how they interacted with each other, this loving God and loving each other. So they learn to trust God through Jesus Christ and they learn to grow in God and their relationships with each other. Then they learn to give. And there is such a story of giving. And then they learn to go wherever they were, not that they had to sell all their possessions and follow Paul's example of what going was. But the command was go wherever you go, go in the name of Jesus and and share this good news. So they 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 learned to trust. They they grew, they gave and they went. They, they learned to go. And so the early church and I, and I don't I need us to understand this before we even get into Acts chapter two is the early church was birthed in a Jewish context. 
the, the majority of the first believers were Jewish. So I think I need us to understand that, that we are stewards of an amazing story. Advent and looking at the Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah that was promised to come and what was told that that Messiah would do came out of the Jewish context, out of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, we no longer are waiting for the Messiah. We know who the Messiah is, but it was all birthed into or birthed out of this Old Testament or this Hebrew Bible or this this Jewish tradition of this great family of God that we can look at their life story over nearly a thousand years worth of their history that goes back to Genesis. And we've been grafted, the Bible says, into that family line. There's a new shoot that's coming out that we are bearing fruit from. And I think the early church had a tremendous concept of that because the early church was predominantly Jewish. There's a treasure to this story that I want us to discover. And we're going to be putting a lot of emphasis in that in our teaching throughout this year. But I want to show you what, what, what we believe is one of the most primitive early church symbols. This is a symbol that came out of that first century of, um, of uh, the early church that would have been after the resurrection of Jesus. And as you can see on this piece of clay, you can find that there is a Jewish menorah and a star of David and a fish all in this. And this early symbol shows the pathway of how the history of Israel came together in the Messiah, Jesus, that then birthed the church that is now the symbol of the fish. And we've pretty much in our culture taken everything away and only made the symbol the fish. But this is really a beautiful picture of what the early church thought of themselves and what they really felt like was this story of God that was transitioning and moving on through Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. So this first century symbol, I think, should be a great reminder to you and I about what the early church had in its fellowship and was now expanding from Jew into a Gentile culture the church was gathering together for a purpose. And that purpose was for them to see Jesus and then to live as a disciple of him. And so when we begin to start looking at Acts, as now I'm getting closer and closer to Acts chapter 2, we can find that the early church met outside by rivers. They met in homes. They met in these, what we're, we refer to as maybe a Roman insula. And there's several places throughout the book of Acts where you can find this. And here's a picture of what a lot of first century homes, especially for those that were blessed with houses and, and the ability to, to have businesses and houses together. And when you look at this picture, you're going to find that there's these outdoor Roman baths that were that draw my attention that you can see so clearly man what a great place to be immersed into the church to experience a baptismal but if you look at this picture that first level in most homes were businesses where people could buy sell trade have um, some sort of 
of production of some sort of material that their family would specialize in so that they could market that to the community around them. And their dwellings were generally upstairs. But the thing that I simply want to say this week is we're going to spend more time on this next week. But the thing that I want to say is like when you had a home like this, the heart's desire of that early church was is whatever I have, I want to dedicate to the work of the church as disciples of Jesus. So then you could see where there's so much space for people to gather, to read, to talk, to share, to sing, to spend time together, talking about what they remembered, what they'd been, what they'd heard or what they'd seen in Jesus Christ. So what is going on in Acts chapter two, this Pentecost Sunday? We've spent time, if you've been with our church over the last several years prior to the pandemic, of gathering our churches together in one place to celebrate the joy of Pentecost. But let me kind of give us a brief background again very quickly. There were about 120 people, according to Acts chapter one, men and women from Jesus's mom through disciples and others that were gathered in an upper room. And they were basically looking at each other saying, what's next? They were praying. They were probably crying and lamenting, wondering when Jesus was going to come back. And they were wondering what was next. Like many of us right now, going from 2020 into 2021, our heart is like, what is next? And it says that the Holy Spirit fills them and gives them a gift of communication and boldness. This is what I want us to see as we step into Acts 2, is once they finally felt the power of the Holy Spirit, they stepped out of that what's next and that place of prayer in that room, and they went outdoors. And who did they meet outside? There were a lot of Jewish people that had come on pilgrimage to be there for the Passover celebration and found themselves all caught up in what was happening. And so you have people that are Jewish that had moved to other countries that had come back on pilgrimage because they were so loyal to their faith, religious, if we could put it that way, and had such a strong desire to be in Jerusalem for this special worship. And because of that, so many of them had learned other languages from the places where they had come on pilgrimage from. Many of them had probably even because of their time away had lost a lot of their native language and were now speaking languages from other places, whether on the North African Egyptian side or the Roman language, the Aramaic, the languages of that day and time. And so now they're on the streets and they're standing in the proximity of this 120 believers that were now coming out and they were hearing them spoken to in the language they were familiar with. Now imagine listening to somebody and like, wow, I know that language. And they were drawn in to listen to that language. And there's a, prof a professor at Harvard that, excuse me, at Yale, don't want to get those two mixed up, at Yale. His name is Williams James Jennings. And in light of Pentecost, he has this powerful four-word quote that I'm going to put up on the screen for us that I really want to draw us into because this summarizes what's happening here so powerfully. Williams James Jennings says this, God speaks people fluently. 
God speaks people fluently. Man, I'm like, wow, what a powerful summary. There is not a person on the globe, on this earth, that God can't communicate with. And that is just a powerful thought. But our response to this Pentecost story many times is to God, do it again. Like God, you do this again. You go like, like we're, we're, we're giving a responsibility back to God saying, God, would you just do that again? Because if you look at Acts, there's actually a few other places in the recordings that Luke gives in the book of Acts in this letter of Acts that seems like God has done it a couple more times throughout that early church history. But it seems as if God is now saying to us, I want you to go do this in my power, in my spirit. He wants us to learn to do it ourselves, not put pressure on him to say, well, okay, God, you did it once. We're going to wait for you to do it again. No, there's this, there's this empowerment of God saying, I've sent my spirit, the power of God to be with you because I want you to go and do what you've seen me do. How can we do this hard work? I believe it's equipped through the power of his church that is empowered by the spirit of Christ that was left for us, this Holy Spirit. I will say this from 2020 to 2021, it has never been easier for you and I to invite somebody to participate in a worship service with us because people can do it from the safety of their home. Hey, join us online. Hey, would you meet me and watch this together with me? It is the invitation is so much easier because we aren't forcing people to get up, get dressed and come into a building in a facility with people they don't know. They can so easily online just be anonymous. And so I want us to take advantage of the opportunity of us to be a display of God, to be this pillar of truth for the world around us. Sometimes you and I are going to share and people are not going to respond very well. Can I just say this out of Acts chapter two? What were they accused of when they came out of this room and started sharing with these people in their languages? All these people had come from all over the world on pilgrimage and they were hearing the truth about Jesus spoken to them in their own tongue. There were a bunch of people that weren't focused on, wow, they're talking to me in my language. They were just watching and observing all of this language and this to some I would say in an English gibberish like this sound of noises and their response was they're drunk they thought that they were drunk at nine o'clock in the morning and the and and here's an encouragement to all of you there are going to be times that you are going to step into and speak about jesus and people are going to accuse you of a lot of different things they are going to, not going to understand they are going to in many ways say something that might be hurtful or insulting can I just say that didn't stop this 120 from stepping out and continuing to do what they knew God wanted them to do because they weren't disappointed in the fact that some people misunderstood them. They were okay with it because they were confident that they were representing Jesus in a powerful way. And I want you to be able to walk confidently. And so now I've gotten us almost all the way down to verse 36 in Acts 2. And I want to step into this a little bit. So let me start reading in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Did you hear this? There, he's saying, all of you, Jesus is Lord and Messiah, but you killed Jesus. Well, hold, let's just wait a minute. This was several weeks after the crucifixion. And they weren't the ones that drove the nails into Jesus's hands and feet and placed him on the cross. These were people that had come on pilgrimage to practice their religion. He's saying to them, you killed Jesus. And so I, I want us to get this. I think it's really important is that religion really put Jesus on the cross. I mean, it was people that wanted to have their own God or worship God or to do their own thing or even be their own God, or they were so overwhelmed in their religion that they had lost that Jesus came to give us a relationship with God. And, and it was them in partnership with the Romans, with the politics of that day that put Jesus on the cross, that killed Jesus. And, and, and if it wasn't for the resurrected power of Jesus you and I wouldn't have the hope that we have, but it was this religious mindset that, that had just overwhelmed the world that was allowing people to live in sin and in darkness. And Jesus had come to bring light. And so these early, the early church was stepping out, casting light and letting people know, look, you might think that you are living your life well, and you have all the religion in the world, but Jesus. And then it goes on to say, and when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And listen, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them. Did you hear that? With many other words, he warned them. The, the temptation in our culture today is to not use any words. There's been so many misquoted um, people from history saying, you know what? It's, you don't need to use your words to tell people about Jesus. Just have good actions. Let me just say it wasn't that in Acts 2. There were a lot of words being used. And it's very important that you and I understand the power of our words and how it can bind people up or it can set people free. Here in Acts 2, they're speaking very strong words, but they're not binding people up. They're setting people free. They used many other words and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Did you hear that? Save yourself from the corrupt generation. He didn't say save yourselves from hell. You can't find the mention of hell in the book of Acts. He was saying to them, you need to save yourself from this corrupt generation. We will be talking more about hell and, and, and what being eternally separated from God looks like. But when the early church was acting like the pillar of truth in the first century. They were speaking to their present day corruption in that current generation. There was a selfishness to their life in that generation. Is there not a selfishness in the life of our generation? They wanted to live 
with God's approval, but they wanted it to be on their terms and they wanted it to be about their life and, and they wanted to determine their own truth. Does that not sound like our generation, this selfish way of living? Those, it goes on to verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. And so the early church stepped out in the power of God and they started to organize themselves in a way that we're going to be focusing on these next five weeks. So I want to give you an outline of what that organization looks like and then how it fits into the gallery church and what it's going to look like in our neighborhood churches. But they were posturing themselves. They were preparing themselves to wage war against the culture of their day that was pushing people into darkness and to sin. And they were saying, no, we're going to be a church that lives in light and in freedom in Jesus Christ, victory over sin. So there were, so you'll hear so much about the cultural pressures on them and how they were living a different kind of life in response. So how does the gallery church work? How are we organized to do this? Now, I'm not saying we're an organized religion. We are just going to be organized in the way that we follow Jesus so that there's not that much confusion. So we're trying to keep things as simple. And there's a simple graphic that's going up on the screen right now that I want to be able to walk us through. So when we talk on January the 9th at the town hall, and when we're speaking in these next five Sundays to come, and we begin to show the early church, I want you to keep this image in your head because I want us to be organized and to keep it as simple as we possibly can. And at the center, the smallest aspect of our church, we're calling a hub. We want to make sure that there are groups of two to six people that are developing friendships, deep spiritual friendships over time. Some of you already have these friend groups. Some of those friends are here with you in Baltimore. Sometimes those friends are in other places, but you know who they are. You have your two to three to four to five, six people tops in these circles that, that you're intimate. You know one another. You text one another. You encourage one another. You think about, you pray for. You've even figured out ways in the pandemic to stay socially distant, but yet connected to them. What we are wanting as a church is to make sure that that hub, that intimate group of spiritual friends is centered on Jesus. And if you are new to the church and you don't have that, we want to help put you in an environment where those relationships can be cultivated, where they can grow, where they can be encouraged and they can flourish. And at the end of 2021 and going into 2022, you're not saying, I don't have a spiritual group of friends where I am being discipled and encouraged to grow in Jesus Christ. Some of us have it. Let's, 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 let's make those relationships stronger and fruitful in Jesus. And for those of you that don't, we want to help you have a hub, a spiritual group of friends. The next section out you'll notice in the expanded circle is our growth communities. These are hubs that are grouped together. And sometimes some people are in hubs and not everybody in the hub is in the same growth community. And that may need to change. It may not need to change. But our growth community is a place where there can be an expanded pool of people that are encouraging us to look 
towards Jesus, where we can have an expanded pool of people that allows us to grow in faith in Jesus Christ, where there's more than just the two, three, four, five, six people around us, maybe up to 30, 10 to 30 people, maybe three or four to five hubs that are gathering together to encourage each other. And we are a church right now that is limited in in the size and how we can get together because of the pandemic. And we need to be creative. Some of you are outdoor people and you have the clothes to be outside. And so could you take your growth community outside in safe places or um, or at least in some level continue to maintain that online presence or a combination of both? Because we need to be the church, this pillar of truth. And our growth communities is that expanded area of people that allows us to talk about what we've been taught and not just to talk about it for the sake of talking about it, but to encourage each other to put it into practice where we can practice what we've been taught and find some new friends. How many of us are so full on friends we don't need more friends? I mean, so many of us, our friends are in transition. The people in our lives are in transition. And this gives us a place to constantly be a friend and to find a friend. And we can do that in parks, in courtyards. We can do it online. The third part out, this neighborhood church is a place where there's a people and a pastor, where there's multiple growth communities, lots of hubs. But this is a place where people can, in a geographic region, learn about Jesus and serve Jesus together and be shepherded and be cared for on a local level. And so grateful for what's happening in Comunidad, so grateful what's happening in Patterson Park and downtown. And we desire to have more churches a part of that. And we have some great partner churches that are gonna be doing more together with us. But this is a place in an expanded area where a group of people in a geographic area can look at what the church looks like to be a pillar of truth in that community. And then if you look at the the last expanded area, this is an area we call a family of churches because there are times where we just need to all see the breadth and the, the, the power of the body of Christ in, in Baltimore, where all of the churches in Baltimore can be together in the ways that they love and pray and support one another. So there's, if you notice that there's a way that all of this is interlaced with intentional living, if you can look at that little corner of the graphic and how intentional living overlaps all those areas, we want to continue to teach you how to intentionally live out what it looks like for us to be a pillar of truth. And so we're going to spend time doing that. And we're going to be explaining more of that in the town hall, but our culture and the culture of our city is constantly working against the kingdom of God, the culture around us, the city around us is wanting to tell us that we have to live a way that is different than the way of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And our church needs to be a place where you can be encouraged to live out the culture of the kingdom of God and not be overcome by the culture of the world. We want to be that pillar and foundation of the truth. So we're moving forward into 2021 and we are going to be focusing on the smallest expression of who we are, our hubs. And then the next smallest aspect of who we are, our growth communities, because nothing is going 
to come our way that is going to keep us from being able to follow after Jesus in those smallest expressions of who we are. And we're going to grow from there. We are replanting all of these hubs and growth communities in a way that I believe is going to bring life and we're going to see fruit that's going to remain and that is going to be stirring us to have to have our baptism tanks ready to see people following after Jesus. And so we are going to be looking forward to that, explaining more and more in our town hall. And our Patterson family has been doing a great job of incorporating Zoom meetings on Sundays in our downtown church. You're going to be hearing more ways that we're going to bring some Zoom into our Sundays starting January the 10th. And so just know that that is coming. But until then, if you need prayer or you want to talk more about following Jesus, we want to be here for you. You can reach out to your neighborhood pastor, to the elders, or let us know that you have questions and we want to help you with those questions. We will be posting a link to the All Church Family Zoom Town Hall at 10 a.m. on January the 9th this week so that you can participate in that. Because we need to be a pillar of truth in our generation in Baltimore as long as we are serving here together. And we need to be a place where you can practice that with us. So if the Lord moves you to another place, you can be prepared to be a pillar of truth in this generation. Because this culture is corrupt and there needs to be a kingdom culture established. And we can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It has been an honor for me to to have you listen to me today. I thank you for that. It's a privilege to be a pastor in this generation. But I don't want us just to hear what's being taught. I want us to put it into practice. So let's take some time to put this teaching into practice. May God bless you. As we begin a new year, many of us take time to set goals and make resolutions for things that we want to see happen or change or improve in the f this upcoming year. Hopefully, as you're doing that, you are making sure that you spend time in prayer, seeking God and reading through the scriptures to help guide you and direct you as you make those decisions and set those goals. Today, I'd like for us to connect to that same idea and concept very briefly. And I want to ask us to, instead of thinking of ourselves, take a moment today, right now, to pause and to ask God who we can be praying for or towards this upcoming year. And I'd like us to spend a few minutes thinking about that person and then starting a prayer process where we attempt to pray for that individual, whoever God lays on your heart in the next few minutes over the course of the coming months and year. So if you'll join me now as we bow our heads, quiet your hearts and ask God, Father, please bring to mind someone that you want me to invest time and energy in by praying for them specifically in this upcoming year.
Hopefully, as you have been sitting here in silence, God laid someone on your heart. So what I'd like us to do is take another 30 seconds or so to just begin the prayer process for that individual right now, asking God to meet them where they are and also asking him to reveal to you how you need to intercede on their behalf in the coming months. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us enough to meet us where we are, that you have been listening as we are pondering the changes and the improvements and our goals for this upcoming year. And we pray, Lord, that we would not forget our neighbors, our friends, our family, and even our enemies as we attempt to become more like you, more like Christ in 2021. So, Lord, we pray today that you would continue to reshape our hearts that you would guide our thoughts, that you would uh, reveal your truth to us in a way that our goals and our ambitions align with yours. But also, Father, we want to lift up our, our special friends, these individuals that you have laid on our hearts now. Lord, may we hear your voice and may we understand your will and your purpose for our lives in relation to our neighbors. Thank you for listening. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for how we know you will move. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're coming to the end of this first week of our replant series. And I want to remind us of what Paul said to Timothy. He said to him as he was empowering this young church, urban church pastor, and he said this, this is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. The church has always been set up to be a pillar and foundation of the truth. And we want to be that church. We want to be that, that healthy group of believers that understand what it really means to follow after Jesus Christ. And so the next five Sundays, as we continue through this series, we want to, to continue to equip us, to educate us, to lead discussion in a way that will help us to see this powerful um, opportunity for us in our culture in our day to be a pillar and a foundation of truth. There's so much being said about truth in our culture. And 
and the church can be that place and we are going to look more intently at it. So uh, two things. One, we are going to be putting in the app, we have placed in the app, a, a, a note section for you to be able to reflect on the teaching from this Sunday. But we're also placing in there growth community materials, some suggestions on ways you can guide your discussion, whether they're in socially distanced outdoors or if you're meeting together online, ways that you can talk about and investigate this teaching more fully. And then for those of you that are already in hubs or are going to be starting your hubs for the first time here in January, there's also some great suggestions or a great suggestion uh, with a, some singular focus of what you could do with that group of friends uh, on a more intimate level with Acts chapter two. That's in the app for you. And then I want to let you know that we are going to be ending our gatherings differently over these next five weeks. And there's going to be some opportunities for us to step into a Zoom meeting after uh, the teaching. And so we'll be, you'll be hearing some more about that this next week. But the desire is just for us to be able to transition into our, our neighborhood churches, which Patterson Park has been doing a phenomenal job of this already. And we're going to follow their lead and their example in our downtown church and begin to create some opportunities for us on Sundays through Zoom to interact a little bit more with one another. And so some more will be coming to our to you and our downtown community uh, this next week. And so let me move towards our benediction. Um, here's 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 our closing. As we step into this first week of the new year, may our eyes be fixed on Jesus and may we grow in wisdom and understanding so that we can be the church that Jesus died to start, resurrected to empower and sent the spirit to give us all that we need to be effective. Let us be that church in 2021 that is a pillar and a foundation of truth. And may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much. We love you and looking forward to 2021 together.